Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. That's on page 1018 in the Pew Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker of it with you. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. We're thankful that you're here. It is good to be together to worship God. This morning, we have a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be excited about. Let me mention a few of them quickly. This past week, we enjoyed our children's vacation Bible school. That wrapped up two weeks of vacation Bible school for us as a congregation. It was wonderful to see the children. It was wonderful to see the adults anywhere from younger adults to older adults, everything in between helping. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity God gives us to touch the lives of the children, not only of this congregation, but so many hundreds of children outside of this congregation. We average well over 500 every day of Vacation Bible School when we combine the, the two together. So from three-year-old uh, up through 12th grade, it probably of an average about 530 or 40 uh, each day. It's really amazing, and we're thankful to God that he gives us that opportunity. Also, we have a small group out on a mission trip this week in Marlington, West Virginia. And many of you know that this has become a special work to us. It's a highlight of this little small church's work each year. It's for us to come and help them with a vacation Bible school. And so we strive to send a dozen to 18 people every year uh, to do that. And, and not in this picture is Mitch Poskovich. I suppose he was taking the picture. Uh, but we're thankful for he and Sandy and for all that are there uh, working on that campaign. And let's pray for them this week and pray for that great congregation there in Marlington. Also, we are thankful. Uh, that Brad and Estelle Willits are with us today. Uh, we are thankful for the work that they do in uh, Africa, not only presently, but also throughout the decades. And uh, we are thankful that you guys are able to, to be here. And we welcome you this morning. Also, as already mentioned, the 12questions.net campaign. Obviously, we're excited about it. The questions have been submitted, and really, there were two surprises to me. One is the number of questions is really a little bit less than what I anticipated. Probably around 1,000 questions were submitted. But what was also a surprise was the quality of the questions. There were very few questions that were just submitted to be like a joke. And being that we advertised in the movie theater and, you know, people are going to have their phones out and they've got time to kill before the movie started, uh, I figured that we would get really a boatload of those and, and we didn't at all. But instead, what we got, you could tell, were very, very genuine questions. At a later time, I'd like to share with you 
uh, several of those, but in Bible class today, you will receive a handout. This is not our official flyer that will be given to all the community. This is uh, a little bit more of a simplified version of it, uh, but, but you'll receive that in class today. We wanted to reveal it to you uh, so that you would know uh, what is happening and uh, the questions that are being asked. Probably the, if I could give you the three leading questions that were asked, uh, would be, and I, and I can't remember the order of these, but all three of these were asked many, many times. One is, why am I here? I was asked over and over and over. Why am I here? A second one that was asked over and over is, why do children get cancer? And then a third one that was asked over and over was, will I know my family in heaven? And, of course, we could go on and on. There were a lot of other ones that were asked several times, but that would probably be the top three questions that were asked. And, and it's, it's interesting to look through them, and it was, really, it was really sobering to read through those thousand questions and realize that, that people are thinking about eternity. They're thinking about God. They're doubting, and doubt gives the opportunity for belief. It gives the opportunity to answer. And so it's a very, very good thing that we have the opportunity to say, let's open God's Word, and let's see what God's Word would teach us on these things. Also, you will notice that in this handout will tell of the speakers that are coming in, and uh, they are of the highest caliber. They are very, very capable, and uh, later we'll talk more about them also. But uh, Kirk Brothers and Ralph Gilmore and Kyle Butt and Leon Barnes are scholarly. They're very well educated and very well proven to handle very, very difficult topics. And so you probably know at least some of them, and if not, after this week that we will experience in this campaign, not only will you know them, you will greatly appreciate them, uh, not only their knowledge, but their life and their love for God and love for the lost. Also, we're excited. At least I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Right here is our new edition of our study book that we will be taking to everybody in Mount Juliet. To think about delivering a booklet that the only purpose of this booklet is let us tell you what you can do to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be saved. It is exciting. Uh, it, it's amazing to think that we have the opportunity to go to all of our neighbors and do this. It might not be quite as exciting as translating the Bible, but it's pretty exciting. And so we are thankful uh, that we have the opportunity to do that. And we hope that uh, you will, in Bible class, take one of those involvement sheets and figure out where you can get involved and, and jump in. Uh, not everybody needs to do the same thing. But find out where you can be involved. And all of us working together uh, will give God the glory for the good that is. We don't determine what the result of this campaign is. It'd be foolish to say we could, but we definitely don't. That's not our task. Uh, we'll never know this side of eternity what good will come out of it. But our job is to plant and to water. God gives the increase. We're planters and we're waterers. And we'll leave the rest up to God. And glory be to Him as we strive to plant the seed, the living Word of God, in the lives of individuals, and do so with great love. Lost souls. I hope that terrifies you. I hope when you hear that word, it's a little bit like fingernails on a chalkboard where you say, I can't bear that thought. That is difficult to swallow. That my neighbors on the left or right of me may not spend an eternity with God. 
my co-workers around me that I say I love working with you, I love having lunch with you, oh, we've raised our kids together, we've shared so much together, we've worked together for so long, they might not spend an eternity with God. Some of your family members. What about yourself? Listen, there's nothing that we could talk about more important, more impactful then where are you and the people you love and the people that you know around you, where are they going to spend eternity? And if that doesn't matter to you, the rest of this lesson's not going to matter to you, and really I don't even know why you would be here today if that doesn't matter to you, because that's the very core of who we are. We are people that are devoting our life to live with God for an eternity. We would give up anything and everything to live with God for an eternity. We would do whatever we could do and must do to encourage other people to know God, to have a relationship so that Jesus is not only their Savior, but their elder brother. God is not just some distant God, but He's their Heavenly Father. The Spirit isn't some mystical one that we can never know, but instead we're deeply in love with. Do you know God? Are you looking forward to spending eternity with God? I think about a, a woman named Colleen Watson. Colleen Watson writes a little article, and, and in the middle of the article, she tells about going to a fundraising dinner in the university that she attended, and she didn't name what the university was in the article. But she said, I went there along with several other ladies that had gray and blue hair. And she said, of course, mine isn't. And then she admitted hers was. And then she said, while we were there at the fundraiser, there was a pianist that was just absolutely amazing. And so she said, during one of the breaks in the program, we went over to visit with the pianist. And one of my little blue-haired friends said, you are absolutely amazing. I would give anything to play the piano like you. And the gentleman smiled politely and said, no, you wouldn't. Well, that startled the woman. And, and she stuttered a little bit and she said, no, no, really. Your playing is beautiful. I, I would give anything to play like you. And again, the pianist smiled and said, no, you wouldn't. And then answering the bewildered look, the pianist continued by saying, I've practiced for four to six hours every day for 25 years. That's all you would have to give to play the piano like me. But you haven't. Now, you could say he's rude. You could say that wasn't necessary. But I'll tell you this. He definitely has a merit of truth in what he's saying. Before you and I just quickly spout out, I would give anything about a particular thing, I urge you to pause and think, would you? Because there's a lot of things that you and I can do in this world if we would simply devote ourselves daily to it. On this next slide, we see, well, you know what it is. It's a picture of our world taken from space. I would like to say to you, but I know I fall short of this statement. But I'd like to say to you, I'd give anything for that world to be saved. But my life doesn't mirror that. I've fallen short of giving everything for the world to be saved. But I follow one who has given everything. And you and I follow one that in giving everything holds up this wonderful 
challenge and this wonderful purpose of life. And that is to say, Jesus is not only opening his arms to save us, but he is also embracing us to walk along with him because the way that Jesus saves is for the church to take the message to the world. Go into all the world. And the world that we want to think about, especially today and over the next few weeks, especially is the world right here in Mount, Ju in Mount Juliet. What are we doing? Would we give anything? Paul would. Under the idea of that I might win the more, Paul said that he was willing to sacrifice anything to save souls. If you have your Bible open, I hope you do. Look again at 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Let's read verse 19 again. 1 Corinthians 9 and 19. Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant. Capture that thought for a moment. Paul, what'd you do? I made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now that's interesting that he says, I made myself a servant to all right after the beginning line there was that though I am free from all men. And then it's interesting that this concludes in this particular verse by saying that I might win the more. Let's think about that for just a moment. Let's go in reverse order. Paul, what's your life about? My life is about helping souls be one to Jesus Christ. Well, how do you do it, Paul? I've learned that I've had to become a servant to all men. Paul, you've become a servant? Sure, I have. Listen, I have been free from all men. In other words, there is liberty in being a Christian. Paul, what do you mean about liberty in being a Christian? Well, I used to be uh, a Jew and practice Judaism. And you know, I have a lot of liberty now that I used to not have. Now, I don't keep the Sabbath in that same way. Now, I don't have the same dietary laws. Now, there are holy days that, that I do not keep. At least, I don't keep them because they're required by law of God. There's a lot of liberties I have now that I used to not have. And I live in a world, and I do mission work where I run into pagans all the time. And wow, do they have some strange requirements that come from their idol and idolatry teaching. And you know what? I'm not, under, I'm not under the right or the law of them either. I'm at liberty to avoid that. I'm at liberty to avoid Judaism. There are so many things. And plus, I'm free from the bondage of sin. There's liberty in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, though I have this liberty, there is a great love for mankind that limits my liberty. In a legalistic sense... I'm at liberty. But because I love people, I have sacrificed my liberty and have decided instead to become servants of them. How does that work? Well, let's look at an example of this. Drop back in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. And, and you'll remember 1 Corinthians is... Paul's solution to a lot of problems and really he's offering God's solutions to a lot of problems. And remember we pointed out in the last couple of weeks that the parts where they had written him a letter and asked questions, he would begin by saying, now concerning the things that they had written. Notice how he's going to say that in 1 Corinthians 8 chapter and verse 4. Look at verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. But notice that's not how this chapter began. 
he eased into this topic by saying, let me get a, a foundational, a fundamental truth that must be correct in your life and in your heart or you're not going to understand what I'm about to say concerning these, this meat that's been offered to idols. Let me give you uh, just a rough idea of what might have been taking place in that day and time. The scripture doesn't give us the details of how this was working. But imagine someone had been going to a temple regularly and they had been worshiping an idol and a part of that idolatrous worship was offering up an animal and a part of that would be preparing that animal in some way, perhaps even cooking it as an offering. But then after the service, everybody that had been a part of that service had, had participated in whatever way they were required to participate, but there's leftover meat. And so they take it down to the local Publix or Kroger. And they set up in the marketplace and say, hey, we're selling our meat that's left over from our service. A Christian comes by and says, wow, this meat that's $3.99 a pound is usually $5.99. That's a great cut. I tell you what, I'm going to buy that. And that mature Christian takes that meat home knowing where it originated, but also knowing they have nothing to do with that idolatrous practice. They're simply wanting a good cut of meat. Now imagine that same day that that mature Christian is there buying that meat, there's also a young Christian, and let's just say, imagine that they were converted out of this idolatrous temple worship. And that young Christian is shopping and they see that meat and they immediately have this feeling of offensiveness. That's the meat I used to eat when I worshiped that God. And they see their brother or sister that's more mature buying that meat. And they are immediately offended. And that older brother or sister says, come home, let's, let's eat lunch together. And that brother is saying, I, I can't do that. That's so wrong. In their mind and in their consciousness, it was wrong. And, and they're saying, I, I can't do that. That's so wrong. And, and the mature brother, let's just say, says, hey, you need to get over that. You shouldn't worry about what your conscience is saying. We know that it's not wrong to eat this meat. You need to get over it and we're going to eat the meat. And listen, if you can't understand that, maybe you ought to just go back to your idolatrous ways. Oh, we don't know all the details of what I've just given you, but we know there was a problem where some who were the weaker ones had great offense taken at the eating of this meat, enough so that when they were going to ask Paul questions, one of the questions they wanted to know was what can we do about this meat? Now, maybe you're saying, wow, that's kind of interesting to think about. But notice where he starts. Let's back up in verse 1 now and notice where he starts. We're in the 8th chapter in verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols... We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You see the principle he gets in place to start out with? He says, listen, I want to talk to you, church at Corinth. I want to talk to you about whether or not you have the right to eat that meat. And then when I answer that, you're going to say, oh, that's the knowledge. I knew I was right. Young Christian, you need to admit you were wrong and you need to line yourself up. And he says, listen, as I give you the knowledge, I want you to make sure that you temper that knowledge with love. Knowledge without love never builds up towards God. Knowledge and love is what edifies. You take away the love for souls and you take away the very reason for what we are to be doing. Is knowledge important? Absolutely. 
Is love important? Absolutely. So what does he do? Well, when we skip down to the middle of this verse, he gives this teaching in verse 9. But beware lest somehow this what? Liberty. This liberty of yours. You see what Paul says? Sure. As a Christian, you have the liberty to eat that meat. It's not a part of your worship. You're, you're not devoting your life to that idol. You're simply buying this meat because it's right there in the marketplace. You have the liberty to eat this. But now notice verse 9. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Do you love your brother enough that you would not cause them to stumble? Oh, but I'm going to demand my rights. I have the right to eat this meat. Or would you say, you know what? I'm not going to buy that meat right there. If that offends you, let's buy this meat over here. And let's come back to my house and let's enjoy a meal together. This is the way he would close this chapter. Drop down to verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul, what were you willing to do? Liberty is willing to be given up because of love. Now, we're not talking about disobeying God. We're not talking about abandoning the teachings. Paul's saying, but whenever there is the opportunity to encourage someone, you... Now, what's this under the, the idea of? Remember what we just left there in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, in verse 19? Become a servant to all. So someone says, how, how do you become a servant to all? You do whatever you need to do within the gospel's sake and within love's sake to encourage other people. So what would you do to win a soul? Would you become a servant? What would you give up in order to do that? As we think about this, I'd like for you to drop down another verse with me. 1 Corinthians 9. I'd like for you to notice 20 and 21. And notice here's where he gives some strong application to all of this. He lists a few examples. For example, in 20, he says, And to the Jews, I became, this is him becoming a servant, okay? He says, I, To the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. Notice, it was all about winning souls, win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, I might win those who are under the law, proselyte, Gentiles. 21, to those who are without the law, as without law, now not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law to the weak. I became as weak, that I might win the weak. What do we see here? We look back in Paul's life and we can see an example how he went in and he tried to meet people on common ground. And in that sense, he was becoming a servant to them. He wasn't coming in where knowledge puffs up and saying, let me tell you who I am, let me tell you who God is, let me tell you who Christ is, let me tell you who you're going to become if you want to become a follower of his. No, he went in and he met them where they lived. He lived among them. For example, that first one he says to the Jews, I became a Jew. You can read throughout the book of Acts. Let's just give one example. Acts, the 18th chapter. When he went into Corinth, where's the first place that he went? Where's the first place that he went? He went into synagogues. And he became, if you will, one of them. Now, yes, when he had the opportunity to teach, did he teach about Jesus Christ the Messiah? Of course he did. But notice how he did it. He met them on their terms. He talked with them about their heritage, about their genealogy, and how Jesus Christ was born through the Hebrew people. 
You see, he met them. But yet, when you go, when you go to Acts, the 17th chapter, and you see him going into Athens and Mars Hill, and, and it would be people that would not have any appreciation for Judaism, he met them where they were. He said, all right, let's, let's talk about this altar over here, the unknown God. You're religious, I'm religious. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. Let me tell you about the God who made everything. Or notice that last one there where he says the weak. We just looked at a perfect example of that. In, in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, what did he say to those who were strong? He didn't use these exact words, but here's the application of it, where he says, to the weak, I became weak that I might win some. You go back to 1 Corinthians 8, where he says, here I have every right to eat meat, except when it causes my younger brother to stumble, spiritually younger, my spiritually weaker brother to stumble. And he says, now I'm not at liberty to eat that meat anymore because I love them. So what did he do? To the weak, he became weak. What a beautiful thought. Why? Notice how each one of those, he did them so that he could win some. He did all of these things for their soul's sake. Now please get this. We're all about souls all the time. And if you're a guest here, I don't want you to think, well, the only time they think about souls when they got a campaign there in the midst of. But let's think for a moment, for a few weeks here, all of us, are focusing in on this particular campaign. But is that a good way to say that? It really doesn't sound right, does it? We're focused on a campaign. According to what we've read over and over, just in this one little paragraph, what should we be focused on? Souls. Over and over, what they did was to win some to win souls. And so again, I want to urge you to, to realize that if on a, a Sunday night or a Monday night, we walk in here and, and we hear some powerful lessons, and maybe there's even a great crowd, please don't come in here and look around and put your shoulders back in pride and say, wow, we got a great campaign. It's not about a great campaign. Instead, humbly come in here as a servant and say, who is it here that I can get to know? Who is it that I need to invite to lunch tomorrow? Who is it that I can meet them where they live and I can get involved in their life? This campaign is not so we can say we had a campaign. This campaign is an opportunity for you and I to meet souls and become servants of them. And if we don't get that, we've missed it. It's all about you getting involved in the lives of others. And they have souls. And becoming a servant of them. When we really get that, we'll see the parking lot fill up from the back forward. We'll see people get up and give people their seat lovingly. We'll see the amen said and members get up and genuinely turn to meet people because they want to get involved in their life. Why? Preacher, you just said some things that offend most people in the church. You talked about their parking space and their seat at church. 
It's because most people have lost sight of souls. That's why. When are we going to do things for soul's sake? I beg you. This campaign is a wonderful opportunity. But there's no magic because it's a campaign. The only good that will be done in this is when we devote our lives to saving souls. I hope and wish you and I could truly say, I'd give anything for this campaign to be successful. I'd give anything for souls to be reached. And that's where I've got to pause and ask me, and you pause and ask you, would you? Would you give anything? Because according to Paul's example, what it's going to take is us saying, I make myself a servant. We don't naturally become servants. You may have to make yourself get up and run each morning. You may have to make yourself go to work. You may really dislike your job. You may have to make yourself study for school. All of us know what it is to have things in our life that we regularly do and we devote ourselves to it and we make ourselves do it. Are you going to make yourself a servant? It doesn't mean we hate serving others. It's the fact that it is a discipline and it's a fact that it is a focus and we say, I will make myself a servant of others. So why? So the campaign can be a success? No, so that we can win souls. And so what does this look like? Notice there when he says that I become all things to all men. I think I've shared this with you several years ago. And so I'm just going to mention this very quickly. Isn't it interesting the idea of coming all things to all men? When you look at this slide here of fishing in Sri Lanka, uh, you probably haven't fished this past weekend that way. Those stilts are valuable. They pass them down from generation to generation. Or maybe you go fishing in Beijing in December and it looks more like a stick in a rock making a hole in ice. Or maybe you go to Bohemian Village and you see men, strong men, pulling a heavy rope with a heavy net. Or maybe you go over to Belgium and you see a shrimp fisherman and they got the right idea. They put a big horse to that rope. And then maybe you go over to China again and you see the cormorants that are domesticated for fishing. That'd be amazing to see. Or then you go over to Havana, Cuba, and you see the fishermen standing out knee deep throwing the net. Or maybe you go over to India and you see the ones in, in the little skivvy or the little boat there and they're also tossing a net. Or maybe you go to Russia and you see the drills going through the ice. Or maybe you just go down to one of our local lakes and you see the fishermen breaking out in the early morning of a tournament. And you know, in all of those, if you and I went and spent a day with any of those that we just seen, you know what we'd say? <laughs> that was very different from each other. You know, that experience of ice fishing is so different from bass fishing. It's so different from fishing cormorants. You just go over and over. It's so different. But at the end of the day, what are you after? As different as those are, Paul, you became all things to all. Paul, when I saw you go into the synagogue, you really approached that very differently when I saw you standing around a bunch of Gentiles. Or Paul, I saw you working with some people that were just weak. They might have been weak spiritually, or they might have been just downtrodden. 
Paul, you, you seem to have a lot of different approaches. And Paul could honestly say, but they're all for one reason. I've become a servant to all that I can win souls. At the end of the day, it's all about catching fish for every slide we just saw there. Is this campaign the way we need to reach out to souls? No, it's just one way. One way of several ways. We'll strive to become all things to all men. And so we look at the map, not of the world, but of our nation. And then we look at this little bitty dot. And that's our home. We shouldn't expect God to send missionaries to our home. We should be able to square up our shoulders and as a good and faithful steward say, God, we'll take care of spreading the gospel here. You don't need to have a fired up missionary in India and just think to yourself, I wish that he was over in Mount Juliet because there are so many people searching for souls and I can't get anybody there to open their mouth. No, God, we'll go. We'll go and we will seek and we will share the good news. We will go. So far it's all been about souls. I'd like for you to close this text. Look at verse 23. It's still ultimately about souls, but look the way he says it in 23. Now this I do for the gospel's sake. See, he'd been saying to win more, to win more. And now he goes to the very same end at a different angle. And now he says, I'm doing it for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker of it with you. Isn't that beautiful? The word gospel means good news. I'm doing this because of good news. But yet in 1 Corinthians 15, he made it real clear that the gospel was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus did that so that we could be saved. And now Paul says, all of this that I do, it's the gospel's sake. My wife, Tracy, think of some of the things I do in the day and somebody could say, why do you do that? And I could honestly say, well, I do it for Tracy's sake. It's what she needs as a husband. It's what she expects of me as, as a friend and a companion and a husband. All of you have things you do every day for somebody's sake. What do you do for the gospel's sake? Paul says, you see all this I'm doing, becoming all things to all men. I make myself a servant. Paul, why do you do it? I believe in the gospel. I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Look what he gave up to save souls. It's gospel. Death, burial, resurrection. Look what he gave up. It's gospel. Paul says, that's why I give up. It's gospel. I want to partake. I want to share in the gospel. I want to share in the death of Jesus. He said, I got to sacrifice. I'll become all things to all men. I'll make myself a servant. Why? I want to share in the gospel. The burial. I want to put away that old person. I want to be resurrected into spiritual life and to be given by the Almighty God, the loving God, a commission that says, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. I want to partake in the gospel. And I want to share in it, Paul says, with you. How awesome is it when a thousand people join together and share in something so amazing. Brethren, in a few weeks, it's not that our work will be done, you know that. But think how awesome it's going to be in a few weeks when this campaign is finished. And we can say, wow, we and God did this together. 
We were partakers. We were sharing in life. I can look across this auditorium and I see individuals that I know and highly love and respect that if I had not shared with them on campaigns in the past, I wouldn't know them as well and I probably wouldn't respect them quite as much. But because we've shared in the gospel in that particular way, it's just powerful. I want you to realize as good as it is for us to be concerned for other souls, we need to be concerned about us as a church family. And you want us as a church family to grow closer and stronger? Share in this. Let's all do our part. Let's get to the end of July and say, I've never been closer to my church family at Mount Juliet than what I am now. We have truly shared in a beautiful partaking of the sharing of the gospel. I don't think we have any idea of what could be done if a thousand people would do anything for the gospel's sake. Just your bumper stickers. One of you were telling me just the other day, this week, that you were in Cool Springs, 45 minutes from here, and someone asked you about your bracelet and said, I see those bumper stickers everywhere. What is that about? It gave that person a wonderful opportunity to tell them. And then the person out of curiosity said, where do you live? Thinking maybe they were from Mount Julia. Oh no, they were from East Nashville. And all of you that have put that on your car and you've driven through Nashville, you have stirred interest about God's work. What does that accomplish? I don't know what all it accomplishes, but I know this. You can't bring people to a God that they don't know. You can't bring them to a God that they don't know that loves them. You can't bring them to a church that they don't know exists. What happens when a thousand people say, I'll wear the bracelet, I'll put the bumper sticker on? They're easy peel. You're not even going to have to suffer for that. What about if you wear the t-shirt? Why, why do you do that? I, I want to close. And I know I'm over time, but I don't get to preach next Sunday, and i got a lot on my heart and mind, okay? <laughs> uh, I want you to think about, and, and this, this has happened many times, but I want you to think about why we do what we do with just planting seeds. We have a young man right now visiting us that I've come to know and love and appreciate. We've been sitting down studying the Bible together. And so one of the first times we sat down, he just told me this little story. I said, can I share that? He was in a grocery store, and one of his college school teachers stopped and visited with him in the grocery store. And the talk became religious. And so that school teacher said, listen, I don't live in this town, talking about Mount Juliet, but he said, I want to tell you about a church down the road you have got to visit. And he told him about the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And the young man said, thank you, I appreciate that, and considered it, but didn't visit. A little time went by, and the young man had a friend that he had visited with him at another church, and a lot of questions had been raised in his mind that really bothered him. And so one day at work at a grocery store, he was in the back and he just leaned against the door and he was just thinking about some of that religious stuff. And when he did, a woman came by and said, are you okay? He said, oh yeah, yeah, 
I'm fine. I've, just, I've got a lot on my mind. And she began to visit with him. And he told her what was on his mind. And she said, listen. They talked about it a little bit. And then finally she said, I really want you to come to church at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And he kind of smiled and thought inside, wow. Maybe I should go there. But he didn't. And then he met a young lady that was his age. And they began to talk. And as they talked, she said, I'd really like for you to go to church with me sometime. And he said, where do you go? And she said, the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And he said, well, of course you do. What happens? What happens when our neighbors are constantly being told about a place that loves God, that loves the truth, that loves people? What happens when they are constantly being surrounded by people that talk about their God? They talk about their faith. They talk about their church. What I learned today. Number one, to win souls, you must first make yourself a servant to them. Number two, I need to pause before I'd say I'd give anything. Number three, by all means, as Paul used it, it's challenging. Let's do it. Number four, let's all live for the gospel's sake. Let's share in that together. The church is a powerful part of the solution to the problem of lost souls. And the question I need to ask myself this morning, am I a partaker of it? If you're not a child of God, if your soul is not at peace with God, you are missing your purpose. And you don't have to. God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to die for you. You have a place in God's church where you can accomplish so much good. Please consider your soul your God, your eternity. And this morning, surrender it all to Him. If you're a believer, willing to repent and confess before me. And why not be immersed, baptized into Christ this morning? Maybe you've become a Christian along the way, you've lost the way, and you need to come home. You're coming home to God's plan. The church is God's plan. It's not our plan. And individually, we're not perfect people, but we're part of a really perfect plan. And so along the way, we help each other out. We forgive each other. We pray for each other. This morning, if you need your sins forgiven and you're a child of God, why not humbly make that right before God today? I want to encourage you to be on your knees at least once a day. I was on the road late Friday night. Well, Friday afternoon. I went through a subway. I ate fresh. And, you know, as I circled the back of the subway, one of their workers had this little prayer cloth. He was bowing down over and over. No shame. 
I want to urge you not to be ashamed of the gospel. I want to urge you to be on your knees praying about souls and about your soul and how you can partake in the gospel. Let's work together with God and let's see what God has planned for the month of July.